Everyone loves to listen to a good book, and there are so many wonderful ones to choose, so we decided to bring you this podcast of Stories Come to Life. Each episode features a story from either classic or modern literature, especially chosen to be interesting and exciting to hear. So sit back, relax, and listen to this story come to life. Welcome to Stories Come to Life. I am your host, Catherine Lopez Luker. Can you imagine furnishing a whole house, well, a cottage, with old cast-off furniture and cracked dishes and a couch that is really just burlap spread over boxes? That is what Betty, Mabel, Jean, and Marjorie are doing, and they're having the time of their lives. If only they had a little bit of money so they could buy the ingredients for M.B.D., Mr. Brown's Dinner. Here is the next episode of Dandelion Cottage. Now sit back, relax, and listen to this story come to life. Dandelion Cottage by Carol Watson Rankin Chapter 4 Furnishing the Cottage After tea that Saturday night, four tired but spotlessly clean little girls sat on Jean's doorstep, making plans for the coming week. What are you going to do for a stove? asked Mrs. Mapes. I have a toy one, replied Mabel, but it has only one leg and it always smokes. Besides, I can't find it. I have a little box stove that the boys used to have in their camp, said Mrs. Mapes. It has three good legs and it doesn't smoke at all, if you want it. And if you'll promise to be very careful about your fire, I'll have one of the boys set it up for you. That would be lovely, said Betty gratefully. Mama has given me four saucers and a syrup jug, and I have a few pieces left of quite a large-sized doll's tea set. We have an old rug, said Marjorie, that I'm almost sure I can have for the parlor floor. And I have two small rocking chairs of my own. There's a lot of old things in our garret, said Mabel. Three-legged tables and chairs with the seats worn out. I know Mother will let us take them. Well, said Betty, take everything you have to the cottage Monday afternoon after school. Bring all the pictures you can to cover the walls and... Hark, said Mrs. Mapes. I think somebody is calling Betty. Oh, my, said Betty, springing to her feet. This is bath night, and I promised to bathe the twins. I must go this minute. I think Betty is sweet, said Jean. Mr. Black would never have given us the cottage if he hadn't been so fond of Betty but she doesn't put on any airs at all. She makes us feel as if it belonged to all of us. Betty is a sweet little girl, said Mrs. Mapes, but she's far too energetic for such a little body. You mustn't let her do all the work. Oh, we don't, exclaimed Mabel grandly. Why, what are you laughing at, Marjorie? Oh, nothing, said Marjorie. I just happened to remember how you scrubbed that bedroom floor. From four to six on Monday afternoon, the little housekeepers, heavily burdened each time with their goods and chattels, made many small journeys between their homes and Dandelion Cottage. The parlor was soon piled high with furniture that was all more or less battered. Dear me, said Jean, pausing at the door with an armful of carpet, 
How am I ever going to get in? Hadn't we better straighten out what we have before we bring anything more? Yes, said Betty. I wouldn't be surprised if we had almost enough for two houses. I'm sure I've seen six clocks. That's only one for each room, said Mabel. Besides, none of the four that I brought will go. Neither will my two, said Marjorie, giggling. We might call this the house of the tickless clocks, suggested Jean. Or of the grindless coffee mill, giggled Marjorie. Or of the talkless telephone, added Mabel. I brought over an old telephone box so we could pretend we had a telephone. There were still several things lacking when the children had found places for all their crippled belongings. They had no couch for the sofa pillows Mabel had brought, but Betty converted two wooden boxes and a long board into an admirable cozy corner. She even upholstered this sadly misnamed piece of furniture with the burlaps and excelsior that had been packed about her father's new desk, but it still needed a cover. The windows lacked curtains. The girls had only one fork, and their cupboard was so distressingly empty that it rivaled Mother Hubbard's. They had planned to eat and even sleep at the cottage during vacation, which was still some weeks distant. But as they had no beds and no provisions, and as their parents said quite emphatically that they could not stay away from home at night, part of this plan had to be given up. Most of the grown-ups, however, were greatly pleased with the cottage plan. Marjorie's Auntie Jane, who was nervous and disliked having children running in and out of her spotlessly neat house, was glad to have Marjorie happy with her little friends, provided they were all perfectly safe and out of earshot. Overworked Mrs. Tucker found it a great relief to have careful Betty take two or three of the smallest children entirely off her hands for several hours each day. When these infants, divided as equally as possible among the four girls, were not needed indoors to serve as playthings, they rolled about contentedly inside the cottage fence. Mabel's mother did not hesitate to say that she, for one, was thankful enough that Mr. Black had given the girls a place to play in. With Mabel engaged elsewhere, it was possible, Mrs. Bennet said, to keep her own house quite respectably neat. Mrs. Mapes, indeed, missed quiet and orderly Jean, but she would not mention it for fear of spoiling her tender-hearted little daughter's pleasure, and it did not occur to modest Jean that she was of sufficient consequence to be missed by her mother or anyone else. The neighbors, finding that the long-deserted cottage was again occupied, began to be curious about the occupants. One day, Mrs. Bartholomew Crane, who lived almost directly opposite the cottage, found herself so devoured by kindly curiosity that she could stand it no longer. Intending to be neighborly, for Mrs. Crane was always neighborly in the very best sense of the word, she put on her one good dress and started across the street to call on the newcomers. It was really a great undertaking for Mrs. Crane to pay visits, for she was a stout, slow-moving person, and, owing to the antiquity and consequent tenderness of her best garments, it was an even greater undertaking for the good woman to make a visiting costume. Her best black silk, for instance, 
had to be neatly mended with court plaster when all other remedies had failed, and her old thread-lace collars had been darned until their original floral patterns had given place to a mosaic of spider webs. Mrs. Crane's motives, however, were far better than her clothes. Years before, when she was newly married, she had lived for months a stranger in a strange town, where it was no unusual occurrence to live for years in ignorance of one's next-door neighbor's very name. During those unhappy months, poor Mrs. Crane, sociable by nature yet sadly afflicted with shyness, had suffered keenly from loneliness and homesickness. She had vowed then that no other stranger should suffer as she had suffered, if it were in her power to prevent it. So, in spite of increasing difficulties, kind Mrs. Crane conscientiously called on each newcomer. In many cases, hers was the first welcome to be extended to persons settling in Lakeville. And although these visits were prompted by single-minded generosity, it was natural that she should, at the same time, make many friends. These, however, were seldom lasting ones, for many persons, whose business kept them in Lakeville for perhaps only a few months, afterwards moved away and quietly drifted out of Mrs. Crane's life. That afternoon, the four girls realized for the first time that Dandelion Cottage was provided with a doorbell. In response to its lively jingling, Mabel dropped the potato she was peeling with neatness, but hardly with dispatch, and hurried to the door. Is your mother, is the lady of the house at home? asked Mrs. Crane. Yes'm, all four of us are. There's, there's four, stammered Mabel, who wasn't quite sure of her ability to entertain a grown-up caller. Please walk in. Oh, Oh, don't sit down in that one, please. There's only two legs on that chair, and it always goes flat. Dear me, said Mrs. Crane, moving toward the cozy corner. I shouldn't have suspected it. Oh, you can't sit there either, exclaimed Mabel. You see, that's the Tucker baby taking his nap. Oh, my land, said stout Mrs. Crane. I thought it was one of those new-fashioned roll pillows. This chair, said Mabel, dragging in one from the dining room is the safest one we have in the house, but you must be careful to sit right down square in the middle of it, because it just slides out from under you if you sit too hard on the front edge. If you'll excuse me just a minute, I'll go call the others. They're making a vegetable garden in the backyard. Well, I declare, said Mrs. Crane, when she had recognized the four young housekeepers and had heard all about the housekeeping. It seems as if I ought to be able to find something in the way of furniture for you. I have a single iron bedstead I'm willing to lend you, and maybe I can find you some other things. Thank you very much, said Betty politely. I hope, said Mrs. Crane pleasantly, that you'll be very neighborly and come over to see me whenever you feel like it, for I'm always alone. Thank you, said Jean, speaking for the household. We'd just love to. Haven't you any children? asked Betty sympathetically. Not one, replied Mrs. Crane. I've never had any, but I've always loved children. But I'm sure you have a lot of grandchildren, said Mabel consolingly. You look so nice and grandmotherly. No, said Mrs. Crane, not appearing so sorrowful as Mabel had supposed an utterly grandchildless person would look. I've never possessed any grandchildren either. 
But, queried Mabel, who was sometimes almost too inquisitive, haven't you any relatives, husbands, or, or anybody in all the world? Many months afterward, the girls were suddenly reminded of Mrs. Crane's odd, contradictory reply. No, yes, that is, no, none to speak of, I mean. Do you girls sleep here, too? No, said Jean, we want to awfully, but our mothers won't let us. You see, we all sleep so soundly that they're all afraid we might get the house afire, burn up, and never know a thing about it. They're quite right, said Mrs. Crane. I suppose they like to have you at home once in a while. Oh, they do have us, replied Betty. We eat and sleep at home, and they have us all day Sundays. When they want any of us other times, all they have to do is open a back window and call. <gasps> Dear me, Mrs. Crane, I'll have to ask you to excuse me this very minute. There's someone calling me now. Other visitors, including the girl's parents, called at the cottage and seemed to enjoy it very much indeed. The visitors were always greatly interested, and everybody wanted to help. One brought a little table that really stood up very well, if kept against the wall. Another found curtains for all the windows, a little ragged to be sure, but still curtains. Grandma Pike, who had a wonderful garden, was so delighted with everything that she gave the girls a crimson petunia growing in a red tomato can and a great many neat little homemade packets of flower seeds. Rob said they might even have his porcupine, if they could get it out from under the rectory porch. By the end of the week, the cottage presented a quite lived-in appearance. Bright pictures covered the dingy paper, and thanks to numerous donations, the rooms looked very well furnished. No one would have suspected that the chairs were untrustworthy the tables crippled, and the clocks devoid of works. The cottage seemed cozy and pleasant, and the girls kept it in apple pie order. Out of doors, the grass was beginning to show, and little green specks dotted the flower beds. Other green specks in crooked rows staggered across the vegetable garden. The four mothers, satisfied that their little daughters were safe in Dandelion Cottage, left them an undisturbed possession. I declare, said Mrs. Mapes one day, the only time I see Jean nowadays is when she's asleep. All the rest of the time she's in school or at the cottage. Yes, said Mrs. Bennet, when I miss my scissors or any of my dishes or anything else, I always have to go to the cottage and get out a search warrant. Mabel has carried off a wagon load of things, but... I don't know when our house has been so peaceful. Chapter 5 Poverty in the Cottage There's no use talking, said Jean, one day as the girls sat at their dining room table, eating very smoky toast and drinking the weakest of cocoa. We'll have to get some provisions of our own before long if we're going to invite Mr. Black to dinner as we promised. The cupboard's perfectly empty, and Bridget says I can't take another scrap of bread or one more potato out of the house this week. Andy Jane says there'll be trouble, said Marjorie, if I don't keep out of her icebox, so I guess I can't bring any more milk. When she says there'll be trouble, there usually is if I'm not pretty careful. 
But, dear me, it is such fun to cook our own meals on that dear little box stove, even if most of the things do taste pretty awful. I wish, said Mabel mournfully, that somebody would give us a hen so we could make omelets. Whoever made omelets out of a hen? asked Jean, laughing. I mean out of the eggs, of course, said Mabel with dignity. Hens lay eggs, don't they? If we count on, oh, five or six eggs a day. The goose that laid the golden egg laid only one a day, said Marjorie. It seems to me that six is a good many. I wasn't talking about geese, said Mabel, but just about plain everyday hens. Six everyday hens you mean, don't you, asked Marjorie teasingly. You'd better wish for a cow, too, while you're about it. Yes, said Betty, we certainly need one, for I'm not to ask for butter more than twice a week. Mother says she'll be in the poorhouse before summer's over if she has to provide butter for two families. I just tell you what it is, girls, said Jean, nibbling her cindery crust. We'll just have to earn some money if we're to give Mr. Black any kind of a dinner. Mabel, who always accepted new ideas with enthusiasm, slipped quietly into the kitchen, took a solitary lemon from the cupboard, cut it in half, and squeezed the juice into a broken-nosed pitcher. This done, she added a little sugar and a great deal of water to the lemon juice, slipped quietly out of the back door, ran around the house and in at the front door, taking a small table from the front room. This she carried out of doors to the corner of the lot facing the street, where she established her lemonade stand. She was almost immediately successful, for the day was warm, and Mrs. Bartholomew Crane, who was entertaining two visitors on her front porch, was glad of an opportunity to offer her guest something in the way of refreshment. The cottage boasted only one glass that did not leak, but Mabel cheerfully made three trips across the street with it. It did not occur to any of them until too late that it would have been easier to carry the pitcher across in the first place. The lemonade was decidedly weak, but the visitors were too polite to say so. On her return, a thirsty small boy offered Mabel a nickel for all that was left in the pitcher, and Mabel, after a moment's hesitation, accepted the offer. "'You're getting a bargain,' said Mabel. "'There's as much as a glass and three-quarters there, besides all the lemon.' "'Did you get a whole pitcher full out of one lemon?' asked the boy. "'You'd be able to make circus lemonade all right.' Before the other girls had had time to discover what became of her, the proprietor of the lemonade stand marched into the cottage and proudly displayed four shining nickels and the empty pitcher. "'Why?' "'Where in all the world did you get that?' cried Marjorie. "'Surely you never earned it by being on time for meals. "'You've been late three times a day ever since we got the cottage.' "'I sold lemonade,' said Mabel. "'Our troubles are over, girls. "'I'm going to buy two lemons tomorrow and sell twice as much.' "'Good,' cried Betty. "'I'll help. "'The boys have promised to bring me a lot of arbutus tonight. "'They went to the woods this morning. "'I'll tie it in bunches.' perhaps we can sell that too. Wouldn't it be splendid if we could have Mr. Black here to dinner next Saturday, said Jean. I'll never be satisfied until we've kept that promise, but I don't suppose we could possibly get enough things together by that time. 
I have a sample can of baking powder, offered Marjorie hopefully. I'll bring it over the next time I come. Ah, what's the good? asked matter-of-fact Mabel. We can't feed Mr. Black on just plain baking powder, and we haven't any biscuits to raise with it. Dear me, said Jean, I wish we hadn't been so extravagant at first. If we hadn't had so many tea parties last week, we might get enough flour and things at home. But Mother says it's too expensive, having all her groceries carried off. Never mind, consoled Mabel confidently. We'll be buying our own groceries by this time tomorrow with the money we make selling lemonade. A boy said my lemonade was quite as good as what you can buy at the circus. Unfortunately, however, it rained the next day. And the next. So lemonade was out of the question. By the time it cleared, Betty's neat little bunches of arbutus were no longer fresh. And careless Mabel had forgotten where she put the money. She mentioned no fewer than twenty-two places where the four precious nickels might be. But none of them happened to be the right one. Mercy me, said Betty. It's dreadful to be so poor. I'm afraid we'll have to invite Mr. Black to one of our bread and sugar tea parties after all. No, said Jean firmly. We've just got to give him a regular seven-course dinner. He has them every day at home. We'll just have to put it off until we can do it in style. By and by, said Mabel, we'll have beans and radishes and things in our own garden, and we can go to the woods for berries. Perhaps, said Betty hopefully, one of the boys might catch a fish. Rob almost did once. I suppose I could ask Auntie Jane for a potato once in a while, said Marjorie, but I'll have to give her time to forget about last month's grocery bill. She says we've never before used so many eggs in one month. And I guess Maggie did give me a good many. Potatoes will keep, you know. We can save them until we have enough for a meal. While we're about it, said Betty, I think we'd better have Mrs. Crane to dinner, too. She's such a nice old lady, and she's been awfully good to us. She's not very well off, agreed Mabel, and probably a real first-class dinner would taste good to her. But, pleaded Betty, don't let's ask her until we're sure of the date. As it is, I can't sleep nights for thinking of how Mr. Black must feel. He'll think we don't want him. You'd better explain to him, suggested Jean, that it isn't convenient to have him just yet, but that we're going to just as soon as ever we can. We mustn't tell him why, because it would be just like him to send the provisions here himself, and then it wouldn't really be our party. In spite of all the girls' plans, however, by the end of the week, the cottage larder was still distressingly empty. Marjorie had indeed industriously collected potatoes, only to have them carried off by an equally industrious rat. And Mabel's four nickels still remained missing. Things in the vegetable garden seemed singularly backward possibly because the four eager gardeners kept digging them up to see if they were growing. Their parents and Marjorie's Auntie Jane were firmer than ever in their refusal to part with any more staple groceries. Perhaps if the girls had explained why they wanted the things, their relatives would have been more generous. But, girl-like, the four poverty-stricken young housekeepers made a deep mystery of their dinner plan. 
It was their most cherished secret, and when they met each morning, they always said mysteriously, Good morning, remember, M.B.D., which meant, of course, Mr. Black's dinner. Mr. Black, indeed, never went by without referring to the girl's promise. When, he would ask, is that dinner party coming off? It's a long time since I've been invited to a first-class dinner, cooked by four accomplished young ladies, and I'm getting hungrier every minute. When I get up in the morning, I always say, No, I won't eat much breakfast, because I've got to save room for that dinner. And then, after all, I don't get invited. The situation was growing really embarrassing. The girls began to feel that keeping house, not to mention giving dinner parties, with no income whatever, was anything but a joke. Chapter 6 A Lodger to the Rescue Grass was beginning to grow on the tiny lawn. All sorts of thrifty young seedlings were popping up in the flower beds, and Jean's pansies were actually beginning to blossom. The girls had trained the rampant Virginia creeper away from the windows and had coaxed it to climb the porch pillars. From the outside, no one would have suspected that Dandelion Cottage was not occupied by a regular grown-up family. Book agents and peddlers offered their wares at the front door and appeared very much crestfallen when Betty or one of the others explained that the neatly kept little cottage was just a playhouse. Handbills and sample packages of yeast cakes were left on the doorstep, and once a brand new postman actually dropped a letter into the letterbox. Mabel carried it afterward across the street to Mrs. Bartholomew Crane, to whom it rightfully belonged. One afternoon, when Jean was rearranging the dining room pictures, they had to be rearranged very frequently, and when Mabel and Marjorie were busy putting fresh papers on the pantry shelves, there was a ring at the doorbell. Betty, who had been dusting the parlor, pushed the chairs into place, threw her duster into the dining room, and ran to the door. A lady, Betty described her afterwards as a middle-aged young lady with the sweetest dimple, stood on the doorstep. Is your mother at home? asked the lady, smiling pleasantly at Betty, who liked the stranger at once. Oh, she doesn't live here, said Betty, taken by surprise. Perhaps you can tell me what I want to know. I'm a stranger in town, and I want to rent a room in this neighborhood. I'm to have my meals at Mrs. Baker's, but she hasn't any place for me to sleep. I don't want anything very expensive, but of course I'd be willing to pay a fair price. Do you know of anybody with rooms to rent? I'm to be in town for three weeks. Betty shook her head reflectively. No, I don't believe I do unless... Betty paused to look inquiringly at Jean, who, framed by the dining room doorway, was nodding her head vigorously. Perhaps Jean does, finished Betty. Are you very particular, asked Jean, coming forward, about what kind of a room it is? Why, not so very, returned the guest. I'm afraid I couldn't afford a very grand one. Are you, are you very timid, asked Betty, who suddenly guessed what Jean had in mind. I mean, are you afraid of burglars and mice and things like that? Why, most persons are, I imagine, said the young woman, 
whose eyes were twinkling pleasantly. Are there a great many mice and burglars in this neighborhood? Mice, said Jean, but not burglars. It's a very honest neighborhood. I think I have an idea. But you see, there are four of us, and I'll have to consult the others about it too. Sit here, please, in the cozy corner. It's the safest piece of furniture we have. Now, if you'll excuse us just a minute, we'll go to the kitchen and talk it over. Certainly, murmured the lady, who looked a trifle embarrassed at encountering the gaze of the forty-two staring dolls that sat all around the parlor with their backs against the baseboard. I hope I haven't interrupted a party. Not at all, assured Betty, with her best company manner. Girls, said Jean, when she and Betty were in the kitchen with the door carefully closed behind them. Would you be willing to rent the front bedroom to a clean, nice-looking lady? if she'd be willing to take it. She wants to pay for a room, she said, and she looks very polite and pleasant, doesn't she, Betty? Yes, corroborated Betty, I like her. She has kind of twinkling brown eyes and such nice dimples. You see, explained Jean, the money would pay for Mr. Black's dinner. Why, so it would, cried Marjorie. Let's do it. Yes, echoed Mabel. For goodness sakes, let's do it. It's only three weeks anyway, and what's three weeks? How would it be, asked Marjorie cautiously, to take her on approval? Auntie Jane always has hats and things sent on approval, so she can send them back if they don't fit. Splendid, cried Mabel. If she doesn't fit Dandelion Cottage, she can't stay. Oh, gurgled Marjorie, what a dinner we'll give Mr. Black and Mrs. Crane. We'll have ice cream and... Ha, huh, said Mabel. Most likely she won't take the room at all. Anyway, she's probably got tired of waiting and has gone. We'll go and see, said Jean. Come on, everybody. The lady, however, still sat on the hard, lumpy, cozy corner, with her toes just touching the ground. Well, said she, smiling at the flock of girls, how about the idea? The other three looked expectantly at Jean. Mabel nudged her elbow, and Betty nodded at her. You talk, said Marjorie. You're the oldest. It's like this, explained Jean. This house isn't good enough to rent to grown-ups because it's all out of repair. So they've lent it to us for the summer for a playhouse. The back of it leaks dreadfully when it rains and the plaster is all down in the kitchen. But the front bedroom is really very nice if you don't mind having four kinds of carpet on the floor. This is a very safe neighborhood no burglars or anything like that. And if you're not an awfully timid person, perhaps you wouldn't mind staying alone at night. If you did, added Betty, probably one of us could sleep in the other room unless it happened to rain. It rains right down on the bed. Could I go upstairs to look at the room? asked the young woman. Oh, there isn't any upstairs, said Betty, pulling back a curtain. The room's right here. <gasps> Why, what a dear little room! all white and blue. I hope you don't mind having children around, said Marjorie, somewhat anxiously. You see, we'd have to play in the rest of the house. Of course, added Jean hastily, if you had company, you could use the parlor. And the front steps, said Betty. I'm very fond of children, said the young lady, and I don't expect to have any company but you, because I don't know anybody here. I shall be away every day until about five o'clock 
because I am here with my father who is tuning church organs, and I have to help him. I strike the notes while he works behind the organ. He has a room at Mrs. Baker's, but she didn't have any place to put me. I think I should like this little room very much indeed. Now, how much are you going to charge me for it? Jean looked at Betty, and Betty looked at the other two. I don't know, said Jean at last. Neither do I, said Betty. Would, would a dollar a week be too much? asked Marjorie. It wouldn't be enough, said the young woman promptly. My father pays five for the room he has, but it's really a larger room than he wanted. I should be very glad to give you two dollars and a half a week. I'm sure I couldn't find a furnished room anywhere for less than that. Can I move in tonight? I've nothing but a small trunk. Yes, said Betty, looking inquiringly at Jean. I think we could get it ready by seven o'clock. It's all perfectly clean, but you see we'll have to change things around a little and fix up the washstand. I'm sure, said the visitor, turning to depart, that it all looks quite lovely just as it is. You may expect me at seven. Well, exclaimed Marjorie, when the door had closed behind their pleasant visitor, isn't this too grand for words? It's just like finding a bush with pennies growing on it, or a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Two and a half a week, that's, let me see, why, that's seven dollars and a half. We can buy Mr. Black's dinner and have enough money left to live on for a long time afterwards. Mercy, cried Mabel. We never even said a word to her about taking her on approval. We didn't even ask her name. Oh, said Jean, she's all right. She couldn't be disagreeable if she wanted to with that dimple and those sparkles in her eyes. But girls, we've a tremendous lot to do. Yes, said Mabel. If she'd known that the pillows under those ruffled shams were just flower sacks stuffed with excelsior, she wouldn't have thought everything so lovely. Girls, what in the world are we going to do for sheets? We haven't even one. And blankets, said Marjorie. And quilts, said Betty. That old white spread is every bit of bedclothes we own. I was so afraid she'd turn the cover down and see that everything else was just pieces of burlap. It's a good thing the mattress is all right, said Marjorie. But there isn't any bottom to the water pitcher, and the basin leaks like anything. We'll just have to go home, said Jean, and tell our mothers all about it. We'll have to borrow what we need. We must get a lamp, too, and some oil, because there isn't any other way of lighting the house. The four girls ran first of all to Betty's house with their surprising news. But Betty, said Mrs. Tucker, when her little daughter, helped by the other three, had explained the situation. Are you sure she's nice? I'm afraid you've been a little rash. Just as nice as can be, assured Betty. Yes, said Dr. Tucker. I guess it's all right. I know the organ tuner. I used to see him twice a year when we lived in Ohio. His last name is Blossom, and he's a very fine old fellow. I met the daughter this afternoon when they were examining the church organ, and she seems a pleasant, well-educated young woman. I believe he said she teaches kindergarten during the winter. The girls haven't made any mistake this time. Then we must make her comfortable, said Mrs. Tucker. You may take sheets and pillowcases from the linen closet, Betty. 
and you must see that she has everything she needs. Excited, Betty danced off to the linen closet, and the others ran home to tell the good news. I've filled a lamp for you, Betty, said Mrs. Tucker, meeting Betty with her arms full of sheets at the bottom of the stairs. And here's a box of matches, too. When Betty was returning with her spoils to Dandelion Cottage, she almost bumped into Mabel, whom she met at the gate with a pillow under each arm. A folded patchwork quilt balanced unsteadily on her head, and her chubby hands clasped about a big brass lamp. The pillows are off my own bed, said Mabel. Mother wasn't home, but she wouldn't care anyway. But can you sleep without them? Oh, I'll just take home one of the Excelsior ones, said Mabel. I can sleep on anything. Jean came in a moment later with a pile of blankets and quilts. She, too, had a lamp, packed carefully in a big basket that hung from her arm. Marjorie followed almost at her heels with more bedding, towels, a fourth lamp, and two candlesticks. Well, laughed Betty, when all the lamps and candles were placed in a row on the dining room table. I guess Miss Blossom will have almost light enough. Here are four big lamps and two candles. I have six more candles in my blouse, said Mabel, laughing and fishing them out one at a time. I thought they'd do for the blue candlesticks Mrs. Crane gave us for the bedroom. Isn't it fortunate, said Jean, who was thumping the mattress vigorously, that we put the best bed in this room. Beds are such hard things to move. Yes, said Betty rather doubtfully, but... I think we better tell Miss Blossom not to be surprised if the slats fall out once in a while during the night. You know they always do if you happen to turn over too suddenly. We must warn her about the chairs, too, said Marjorie. They're none of them really very safe. I guess, said Jean, I'd better bring over the rocking chair from my own room. But I'm afraid she'll just have to grin and bear the slats, because they will fall out in spite of anything I can do. By seven o'clock, the room was invitingly comfortable. The washstand, which was really only a wooden box, thinly disguised by a muslin curtain gathered across the front and sides, was supplied with a sound basin, a whole pitcher, numerous towels, and four kinds of soap. The girls had all thought of soap. They were unable to decide which kind the lodger would like best, so they laid Betty's clear amber cake of glycerin soap, Jean's scentless white castile, Marjorie's square of green cucumber soap, and Mabel's highly perfumed oval pink cake in a rainbow row on the washstand. The bed, bountifully supplied with coverings, looked very comfortable indeed. Had Dandelion Cottage suddenly been transported to Alaska, the lodger would still have had blankets to spare. So generously had her enthusiastic landladies provided. At half-past seven, when the lodger arrived with apologies for being late, because the drayman who was to move her trunk had been slow, the cottage, for the first time since the girls had occupied it, was brilliantly lighted. We thought, explained Betty, that you might feel less frightened in a strange place if you had plenty of light though we didn't really mean to have so many lamps. We each supposed we were bringing the only one. Anyway, we don't know which one burns best. If they should all go out, said Mabel earnestly, there are candles and matches on the little shelf above the bed. 
When the lodger had been warned about the loose slats and the untrustworthiness of the chairs, the girl said good night. Oh, you needn't go on my account, said Miss Blossom. It's pleasant to have you here. Still, I'm not afraid to stay alone. You must always do just as you like about staying, you know. I shouldn't like to think that I was driving you out of this dear little house, for it was nice of you to let me come. I think I was very fortunate in finding a room so near Mrs. Baker's. Thank you, said Jean, but we always have to be home before dark, unless we have permission to stay any place. I have to go, confided Mabel, because I was so excited that I forgot to eat my supper. So did I, said Marjorie frankly, and I'm just as hungry as a bear. Everyone come home with me, then, said Jean. We always have dinner later than you do, and the things can't be very cold. This is your host, Catherine Lopez Luker. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Stories Come to Life. Be sure to join us next time when we continue to listen to Dandelion Cottage. I'd love to hear from you, so please send an email to me at kluker at marshallpl.org. I'll talk to you again soon.